We are going through a series called The Seven Deadly Sins, and we're looking at seven sins that throughout history the church has said, these ones are deadly. If you're here and you're like, a steady on sins, that sounds kind of gnarly. Listen, every single one of us, we deal with sin. And so it's very important that we learn about it because we need to learn what it is, we can identify it, and how we can fight against it. So tonight we're looking at the sin of apathy. Raise your hand if you have a firm grasp on what the word apathy means. Anybody? Okay. Well, hopefully by the end of tonight, you will know what apathy means and you'll be able to know that it's a deadly sin you should fight against. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. Read along with me. It says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You know, I remember listening to Pastor Josh White. He's a pastor I really love. I really appreciate his messages. He's actually going to be speaking at camp this year, so you guys will get to know him. But I heard him talking about how he took his son Henry to a baseball game. And his son Henry was just a little kid at the time. And uh, he was hoping that he'd get Henry into baseball. And they're watching the players run around the field, and the coaches are yelling, and the players are working really hard. And he's getting ready to ask his son, like, Henry, like, do you think you'd want to play baseball? But his son turns to him and says, you know, Daddy, I don't think I want to play baseball. And Josh is like, why? Why don't you want to play baseball? And Henry looks at the players out on the field running around. He looks at his dad and he goes, I like to rest, dad. I like to rest. And I totally relate to that. I like to rest. And that's been pretty much my whole life. I've loved resting. I remember um, one time they tried to draft me onto the football team at Calvary Christian. And I showed up to football practice on the first day because I was a big guy. So they're like, oh, you know, you can run around and hit people on the field. I showed up to football practice on the first day and my coach said, run. And I said, no. And I left and I never came back. I've always been apathetic about sports. Uh, to be apathetic means that you don't care. You just don't care about something. Um, I cared for a little bit about sports. Uh, when Michael Jordan played for the Chicago Bulls, I don't know if any of you guys know, but he was like before Shaq, before LeBron, there was Michael Jordan. Uh, and he played for the Chicago Bulls, and he was so good. He was my hero. He was my dad's hero. My dad had a poster of him on the apartment wall when I was a little kid. But when Michael Jordan quit baseball, I quit all sports, and I never looked back. Another way I'm apathetic is in music. I, I love to play the piano, uh, and you should have seen me when I first started. I tried to take lessons, but I wasn't a very good student. I was too ADD. I couldn't focus on the lessons. And when I first started to learn, I watched these YouTube videos, but instead of playing with my full hand, I would just do three fingers and just go boom like that. I played with this weird little three-fingered claw, and I did that for years and years and years. And it took me forever, but I finally eventually figured out how to learn chords, and I started to play. But I thought just learning a few chords would magically turn me into this amazing piano player like Ryan Gosling in La La Land. Uh, but in reality, I learned about seven songs by watching YouTube videos and when I was in high school. Guess how many songs I know how to play today? Seven. The same seven songs I've been playing for the last 10 years. Now, Ryan Gosling, he actually didn't know how to play the piano before La La Land, if you've seen the movie. He's amazing in it. Like His fingers are flying across it. Guess how he got to that point? Before the movie, he practiced three hours a day for three months. It's crazy. It's crazy to have that amount of discipline. He really cared about that part. And I think for me in my life, I've discovered that a lot of times I've been given a part to play by God, but oftentimes I just don't care. And maybe you're in that same place, that apathy. You have no spiritual discipline. And we can be that way. We can long for Jesus to reveal himself. We say, Jesus, I want to know you more intimately. But have you ever considered the fact that each of us are only as close to Jesus as we choose to be? You know, a huge problem for us is spiritual laziness and apathy. Here's what that means. Apathy is when you feel nothing. It's when you have no guilt when you sin, no passion for God, no hunger or desire to know Jesus more. Question tonight, are you content with where you're at with Jesus? 
You know, when I was studying for this message, uh, it, it exposed for me my own laziness. I can be so lazy. I went to the doctor recently. Uh, most of you guys know I was sick. I had this crazy infection. And so I went to the doctor, and they were checking me out, and they were like, hey, man, listen, on a side note beyond just this infection, you need to eat better, and you need to exercise. And I heard that. I was like, okay, doctor, that sounds good. So I went for it, and I did a great job for like one week. Um, I ate really good for like a week. I had this exercise bike in my room. I pulled it out of the shed into my room and I watched episodes of Samurai Jack, which is this old cartoon show on Cartoon Network about this samurai who gets transported in the future. Anyway, I, I would, you know, I, I would pedal faster anytime there was a fight scene. That's how I regulated when I, like, worked out harder. Anytime they were just talking, I pedaled at a normal speed. Anytime they pulled out his sword, I was like, okay, time to really pedal. Um, that was kind of how I did it. And I lost a few pounds, but as soon as the next Wednesday night rolled around and I smelled the pizza, I became apathetic about my eating habits. And maybe for you guys, you're like that when it comes to your spiritual life. Maybe for you, you you look forward to camp every year as when you're going to work really hard, but the rest of the year, maybe you just coast. I was reading the journals of John Wesley. He's this missionary pastor, and he's on this boat in November 1735. Uh, listen, this was his schedule for him and his team. It was their daily schedule. From four to five in the morning, they had private prayer, so just between them and God. From five o'clock to seven, they had Bible study. From seven onward, they had breakfast. At eight o'clock, it was public prayers. From nine to 12, they'd write Bible studies. From 12 to one, they would discuss what they're learning. At one, it was dinner, the last meal of the day for them for some reason. They skipped lunch and just went straight to dinner. From two to four, it was discipleship. Four o'clock was evening prayer. Five to six was private prayer again. Seven to six, it was reading. Seven through eight, they went to church every night on the boat. Uh, from eight to nine, they studied German because they were like going to Germany. German areas missionaries, so they wanted to study German. Uh, and at nine o'clock, it was bed. And they wrote, at that time, not even the restlessness of the sea could keep us awake. Holy cow, that is not normal. <laughs> like, I can't do that. Like, I read, I read that journal. I was like, I don't even know if I'm a Christian. Like, I don't know if I'm saved. That's, that's crazy. I'm not saying that's the goal. But listen, I admire their complete lack of apathy. You see, these guys are dedicated to the gospel. John Wesley and his crew, they're like, if we're going to be missionaries, we're going to be missionaries. So I, I asked myself after reading that, like, where's my heart? You know, we live in an amazingly advanced time, but I would argue that our advanced way of life has opened the door to a lifestyle of apathy. Uh, you know, we have instant access to all the news in the world at all times. Social media connects us 24-7 to everyone's thoughts and lives, and we're more exposed than ever to the many tragedies in the world. Like, we know about how many children are starving in Africa. We hear about hurricanes and earthquakes instantaneously, and it changes the way we view tragedy. There used to be a time where the world was so small to people. If you lived in a town and something bad happened in your town, your heart broke for the people in your town and you would go to help them and you really only knew about what was going on in your community. But nowadays I read every day about people who are hungry and sick and dying and it's easy for me to flip the switch in my heart to turn love and care for people off and turn apathy on. It's very easy for me sometimes to see someone going through a hard time, scrolling through social media, someone posting about a tragedy in their life, but because I've been exposed to so much, I just don't even, even pray for them. I don't even give them that. It's really easy to think we're doing something by liking a video of orphans who need food or using a hashtag for one day to talk about a cause and then forget it the next day. And this apathy touches all aspects of our life. We know there are people in our family who need prayer, but we'd rather play video games. We know there are people in our school who need to hear about Jesus, but it's so much easier just to like their posts on Instagram than to share the good news with them. We know that God has a calling and future for every single one of us, but it's hard enough to focus on our own schoolwork and academics and sports and extracurricular activities. And so spiritually, we sink into something called idleness. This is what idleness is. Idleness is a refusal to put any effort. It's a refusal to do anything, and it's a refusal to grow. Is that you tonight? Are you refusing to grow as a Christian? There's an old saying that's very true. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. Listen, Satan is always looking for Christians who are refusing to move forward on what God has called them to do because he knows how easy it is to put alternatives into their empty hands. Scripture tells us over and over again, redeem the time. And, and we're eager to take the easy way out. 
It's much more attractive for us to choose something that doesn't cost anything of us. For instance, I've been trying to wake up early lately, and and one of the main reasons is I want to work out and I want to read my Bible. But lately I've found that it's very easy for me to wake up for an hour early, but spend that hour lying on the couch scrolling through my phone. Because working out costs me something. It costs me sweat and energy. Reading the Bible costs me something. Focus, my mind, listening to the Holy Spirit. But scrolling through Instagram and checking up on Facebook Facebook cost me absolutely nothing. It's mindless. Guys, we live in an age of instant everything, and that includes instant Christianity. We want microwave Christianity. We want to go to camp and have our lives completely transformed from just one week in the mountains. And Jesus is saying, no, that is just the start. That was literally when you went to camp, the first piece of wood on that fire, you have to keep building the fire. God is not building your spiritual life for the whole year at camp. It's like changing your oil in your car. It's not like, hey, you know, you're good for another 5,000 miles. Camp is not God changing your oil for that camp. It's, it's God, yes, giving you a boost, but that only lasts for a while. And there are some of you right now who you know God has been telling you to get right with him, to start reading his word and praying more, to start listening to him and asking him, God, what would you have for me to do in my life right now? now to ask you to give up a sin in your life. And your response is, I'm too busy for that right now, God. But I'll see you in July, July 10 through 15. I'll be there. Do you guys realize that after you graduate high school, there's no more high school camp unless you like become a counselor, which some people have done. Um, It happens, but that's the exception to the rule. Somewhere along the line, your faith has to become your own. Have you ever been on a sports team with someone who's apathetic about sports? Have you ever been on a sports team with someone who just didn't care? Anybody? Raise your hand, yeah? I was that guy. That was me in school. When it was time to play sports, everyone hated me. I literally, like, everyone's like, we got to win. And I'm like, but what if we didn't? Like, that was just me. I straight up didn't care. I was picked last for dodgeball, and it wasn't like, oh, boo-hoo, that's so sad for Aaron. He got picked last for dodgeball. Poor kid. No, I absolutely deserved to be picked last for dodgeball because I cared about dodgeball less than anyone. I deserved it. How do you think it feels for God to have us on his team when we could care less? When we think showing up to church once or twice a month is what he's looking for. Listen, in a dating relationship, are you looking for a once or twice a month hangout sesh? Or even in a basic friendship? God wants more of us than that. But so often we refuse to be completely sold out for Christ. And in fact, we sell pieces of our heart to other sins and desires and passions. Have you ever prayed to God and said, Lord, just make me pray more? He's not going to do it. You have to pray. Have you ever prayed, Lord, make me understand your word? Listen, God can't stick a USB, you can't stick a USB thumb drive of the Bible into your head and download all the knowledge. You have to steady them. You have to open up the word for yourself and do the work. Imagine if you had a brother and sister. How many of you guys have a brother or sister? Anybody have siblings? Okay, so imagine this. You made them this amazing meal. For some reason, God just filled your heart with joy and service, and you made a meal for your brother or sister, and you set it in front of them, and you said, Eat up, bro. Eat up, sis. And just imagine that their response is they looked at you and they said, oh man, that's really hard. In fact, I don't feel like lifting this fork. Can you spoon feed this meal to me? Actually, actually just imagine that, like spoon feeding your brother or sister. Or imagine this, your brother or sister says, actually, uh, chewing is way too hard. Can you just do what the birds do and like chew up the food and spit it into my mouth? I'm sorry if I just gave you a horrible vision of you doing that to your brother or sister. But listen, that's often what we want of God. We say to God, listen, I will give you the bare minimum effort. I'll show up to church, you take care of the rest. But you better make sure that the pastor is really engaging and really funny and he has really good illustrations or else I'm not gonna get anything out of it. That's one of the biggest reasons that people leave the church as the adults. Any church, you know, people, they're asked, why did you leave that church? And they say, oh, you know what? I just wasn't really being fed there. I would ask them the question, was the pastor teaching the Bible to you? Well, yeah, he was, but I just really didn't like his style. I didn't really connect with it. Okay, so if you're starving and someone puts Mexican food in front of you, but you say, hey man, Mexican food is okay, but I actually prefer Italian food, so I'm not gonna eat it. Can you say that you weren't being fed? No, you were being fed. You just refused to eat. When we understand this, when we wake up to this reality, it'll change our Christian life. You can get something out of a Bible study, even if the worst Bible teacher of all time teaches it. 
The Bible says that God's word does not return void. Listen, I work extremely hard every week to try to give you guys good Bible messages, but I understand sometimes my messages stink, and I wish that wasn't the case, but I'm only a human, and sometimes you have good days, and sometimes you have bad days, but the reality is no matter how good my message is or how terrible it is, you can still be impacted and blessed and encouraged and inspired to follow Jesus as long as you show up to the table and say, here I am, God, put food food in front of me, and I'll eat. That's the thing about food. No matter how good or bad it tastes, it'll provide you with nutrition. God is constantly trying to speak to you, but some of you are not listening because he's not speaking in the way that you would prefer him to. Whose fault is it if you're left hungry? How many of you guys like to work out? Anybody like to work out here? Yeah? So you probably understand the idea of difficult pleasure. Here's what that means. Working hard at something that actually causes you pain to start out with, but eventually you get into a rhythm and you start to enjoy it. And it's like you feel the burn and you're like, oh, that burns, but it burns so good. It's hard at first, but eventually you come to enjoy it and appreciate it. Listen, God desires for us to do good works. He actually designed humans for work. When he made Adam in the garden, one of the first things he gave him was a job. God wants us to be busy, not busy with meaningless things and not living a life of stress and busyness, but he wants our life to be full of kingdom service. He wants you to live a life filled with the Holy Spirit guiding you on how and when to serve him. Listen, today we're going to look at three things that lead to full-blown apathy. Apathy, again, means to just not care. We're going to look at the three things that lead up to apathy so that you can spot in your life and say, where am I on this list? Am I at number one, number two, number three, or am I at just full-blown apathy? The first on the list, if you're taking notes, is laziness. Laziness is saying, I just don't feel like it. When we say, I don't feel like it, even though I could do it. I don't feel like doing my homework. I don't feel like doing the chores my mom and dad gave me. I don't feel like cleaning up. I, I don't feel like writing that paper. I don't feel like reading my Bible. I don't feel like serving, and I don't feel like sharing my faith. I don't feel like growing. I don't feel like seeking God. It's putting off what needs to be done. When you have the ability to do what's necessary, but you opt out. Laziness begins when you're detached from duty and clinging to idleness. I would think about duty and idleness like two trees in a garden. What's duty? Duty is your responsibility. It's the things that God has placed in your life and said, hey, this is what I've given you to do because I love you and I've called you to a purpose. What's idleness? Idleness can just be described as laziness. It's not really having a sense of duty. It's not having a sense of purpose. It's just sitting around and being unused. So think of duty and idleness, laziness, like two trees in the garden. And idleness is a tree that you can sit in and it's really comfortable. And there's large leaves that provide a lot of shade. It's easy to climb into. There's a little hammock built into the tree. So that tree is really attractive. Duty is a tree that has leaves, but they're not quite as shady. And it's a bit more of a challenge to climb up onto. It takes a lot of effort. So, you know, naturally, if you're given these two choices, idleness, laziness, or duty, you're probably going to want to, in your human nature, opt for the idleness one because its leaves are so shady and it's so comfortable. But the reality is you can't live in that tree because it doesn't produce any fruit. You can't survive in that tree. You have nothing to eat. You'll starve. Duty, on the other hand, is the tree that, yes, is more difficult at times, but it produces the sweetest fruit. And I find in my own life that when I'm lazy and when I'm idle, and this happens very much, when I'm just sitting around and I, it can feel good for a time, but I don't produce any fruit in my life. This is when God has given me things to do and I just say, I don't want to do that right now. When I am in that place in my life, when I'm not bearing any fruit, my life has no substance or meaning. And you can't live off of that kind of life. It drains you and makes you empty. However, guys, when I'm serving the Lord and fulfilling my duty to him as a husband, as a pastor, as a worker, as a friend, as a disciple, yeah, it's super challenging, but I see so much fruit in my life and it tastes so sweet and fills my life with so much joy and purpose. Laziness is a detachment from duty and, and it's an attachment to idleness. It's clinging on to that laziness saying, this is where I'm comfortable. You know, 
I didn't have a lot of job experience when I started working at the church. Um, the only job I had out in the world, I, I, I had worked for myself. I started a business when I was 15, but when you work for yourself, I mean, you get to call the shots. Like, you don't have to show up on time. Like, you make the rules. So I did that when I was 15. I, I started doing graphic design business, but when I actually got our job out in the world, my, my only real job was I, was in a, I worked at a factory, and it was only for a couple hours each day, and I just sat there and pulled this lever and like watched packing peanuts fall into a cardboard box. So when I started working at the church, I started interning as a janitor and as a graphics designer. I was so stinking lazy. Me and my friend Trevor Daigle would try to find creative ways to take the longest time possible to vacuum a room. Like we would like set up a camera and videotape ourselves doing stupid stunts. We would literally like put on this music and like just dance around. We'd, we'd get on the computers in the classrooms and we'd watch YouTube videos for hours when we were supposed to be vacuuming. And then when I became a graphics intern, they shoved me in this little closet upstairs and I remember I'd working there and I was so just like not invested. I was so apathetic. I remember they would give me jobs. They'd be like, make this flyer, Aaron. I would make the flyer, but then I would literally be like, well, I guess I'm done for today. And, and I wouldn't go and say, hey, the flyer's done. Do you have anything else you want me to do? I would put my feet up on the desk and I would actually go on this website and I would read reviews on all my favorite albums or I'd go on this other website and I'd read comic strips. And it, I remember one time my boss, Steve Henschel, caught me in the office with my feet up on the desk and he just like was like, what are you doing? Like, do you realize you're getting paid by the church people's money? Like the people who tithe, like you're, you're getting paid from that and you're just sitting around wasting people's time. What are you doing? And he like railed me. It was really hard. And it was really a huge blow to my ego and pride, which I had a ton of at the time. But God taught me something. He taught me the value of hard work and duty through my boss, Steve. He taught me that good work is valuable. Like working hard and putting your effort into what God puts in front of you, giving it your best is valuable. And we think laziness is such an innocent sin, but the truth is laziness robs us of growth. What's the difference between an adult and a child? Think about that. Here's the amazing thing. God wants us to grow, but he wants us to grow in the direction of being like a child, which kind of sounds like a reversal of the normal way that you grow. Normally you grow in the direction of becoming an adult, but think about the difference between an adult and a child. The more you grow up, here's the reality, guys. Ask any adult here. The more you grow up, the more you realize the closer you are to death. I'm only 28, but I realize this more and more. Like, I'm way closer. To, like, just if we take the natural course of time and, like, leave out any, like, random people getting hit by trucks, like, I'm way closer closer to death than you guys are, but like 10 years. And when you're a child, you really truly feel alive. Colors seem brighter. Summer seems way longer. Would you guys agree when you're a little kid and like you don't have like a responsibility is like summer seems way longer. You guys are at that point where like you're at your last good summers. You're going to get your first summer job. And after that, you're like, just fun times are over. Get ready for a life of endless toil. Um, the world when you're a kid seems full of endless possibilities and imagination. When I was a kid, I used to play this game called the stuffed animal kingdom with my sister, Amy. We had this giant pile of stuffed animals and we just went for it. Like I had this dog named Snuggles and he was like the leader of the, st the stuffed animal kingdom. And she had this uh, dog named Spot or something. I don't know. He had like Dalmatian spots and I had like a backwards cap. We had this seal, a uh, little beanie baby seal, but for some reason he had like super strength powers. So he was like the muscle and like the lion was the king. And it was this whole thing. Like We had this whole imagination thing. It was so fun. But listen, if my sister Amy asks me today, Hey Aaron, do you want to go play stuffed animal kingdom? I'd be like, what, what, what? what? No. Like, I'm 28. You're 27. Like, why would we, are you okay? Like, why would, why would we do that? That's the, that would be the dumbest thing I'd ever heard. Here's the reality. It's not because stuffed animal kingdom isn't fun. It's because as an adult, I've died a little bit on the inside. That, that bit of my imagination no longer exists. Guys, spiritually, God wants us to be like children. He wants us to be full of trust and hope and courage and imagination. God wants our spiritual life to be like a kid exploring the woods during a summer vacation, not like a high school student sitting in a fluorescent lit classroom listening to a teacher drone on about some subject you don't even care about. Uh, you know, uh, like sitting there and saying, oh, another Bible study, Lord. I think I'm just going to check Snapchat instead. Some of you guys are constantly checking your phones during these messages, by the way. And, and I would just say out of love, listen, you're missing what God has for you because you're giving in to apathy. If that's you, I love you, but I challenge you. I dare you to care that maybe God has something to say to you and just listen. 
If you're gonna be on your phone, take notes. Listen, when you're a little kid, you care about life and you're excited and interested and fascinated about the wonders around every corner. When you become an adult, your soul starts to break under the monotony of life. The pressures of responsibilities, grades, homework, chores, sports, drama with friends, challenges, tragedies, trials. Do you ever wish you could go back to being a little kid? Anyone here? Yeah, yeah, we, we wish that, I know that I do. And, and listen, listen, we can in a way, because this is the kind of faith that God is calling us to, the faith of a child. I remember I used to babysit uh, Emma Hill, a girl who goes here, and, and her siblings. And one particular night when I was watching her and her siblings, she was probably like three years old at the time, she wanted me to give her a piggyback ride. And while she was sitting on my so- shoulders, she wanted me, we were like outside in the backyard of the Hills house, same house they have now, and, and she wanted me to spin her around in a circle so she could look at the stars swirling around. So I did it, and she loved Loved it, but when it was over, guess what she said? Again, more, more, again. So I did it again. I did it probably about five more times, and then I started to get sick. And she, guess what she said? Again, Again. more, do it again. And because I was no longer a child, but I was your guys' age, a teenager, something inside me had died, and I did not want to spin around because I was getting dizzy. So I said, No way, Emma. But to be honest, I think she had it right. Listen, God wants us to come to him constantly and say, again, again, Lord. Just with that simple childlike faith. Lord, bless me again. Lead me, Lord, again. Inspire me, Lord, again. Teach me, Lord, again. Humble me, Lord, again. Correct me, Lord, again. Love me, Lord, again. But so many of us are just apathetic teenagers when it comes to the inside and outside. We don't care. We don't want to ask God for the great things he has for us because something in our hearts died a long time ago. And I just ask because I know I've been in that place myself. Is that you tonight? Do you need a fresh filling of God's spirit to lift you from the depths of your own apathy? Are you putting off what needs to be done? Do you know tonight that God is calling you to walk with him? If that's you and you're just being lazy about it, cut it out. Stand up and walk with them. Listen, the chains have been broken off. All you have to do is walk out of them. The lazy person is what I would say is a non-contributor. And we live, guys, in a culture of constant laziness where when we're not doing anything, we're not contributing anything to society or to God's kingdom, what really we're doing is we're being self-centered because laziness is self-centered. The lazy person is controlled by what they feel that they want. They're controlled by felt needs, not actual needs. They're, the lazy person is controlled by what they feel that they want and not what they know that they need. For instance, I know that I need to exercise and eat well, but what I feel is that I want chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream. Sigmund Freud, the great psychologist, had a psychological term for this. He called it the pleasure principle. Here's what the, in in psychology, what the pleasure principle is. It's seeking pleasure to avoid pain. Let me say that again. In psychology, the pleasure principle is when you seek pleasure to avoid pain. What does that look like? For me, it looks like when I'm going through something really hard, like, I've been sick lately. My wife has been sick lately. It's been rough. Right now, uh, it's, it's just been a struggle. And I've been taking these antibiotics, and I feel so just, like, bummed out all the time and tired. And for me, what it looks like seeking pleasure to avoid pain is when I know that pain should push me to read my Bible and to talk to Jesus and to go for a walk around this beautiful house that God has blessed me with. But instead, I pick up the PlayStation 3 controller. For me, it's when God says, hey, Aaron, open up my word and study it. Not to teach a Bible study to high school students, but just to strengthen your own relationship with Jesus. And it's me flipping on my phone and going to Instagram. It's me turning on my TV and going to Netflix. Not that Netflix is bad. Not that TV is bad. These things aren't bad. But when we turn to them to avoid our pain, when we go to these simple pleasures like food and, and entertainment, and instead of turning to the Lord. It's because all these things require nothing from us. It's just easy pleasure. Maybe it's the same thing for you. Maybe it's other things. Maybe for you, seeking pleasure to avoid pain means turning to drugs because you don't want to face a difficult thing that's happened in your life. 
Maybe it's sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend or messing around because you're so hurt and lonely because of circumstances in your life and being with them for those moments gives you pleasure that makes you feel alive when everything else in your world makes you feel dead. Maybe it's partying with a group of friends that you know are leading you away from Jesus instead of doing the hard work to find friends who will encourage you in Christ no matter what it takes and seeking them out and doing the hard work of bringing them into your life and building real, open, honest, deep, meaningful relationships because the alternative, the easy way out seems so much more appealing. Maybe God has put something on your heart, some ministry to do, something that you need to, someone that you need to meet with and disciple, maybe serving in children's ministry at your church or our church. Maybe it's finding a new way to help your parents and serve at home or volunteering in some way. Maybe he's put something on your heart, but you look at everything on your plate and you say, no way, God, I'm too busy. When really the reality for you and for me is when we say that, it's not that we're too busy, it's honestly that we're too lazy. And I say that knowing in my own heart that's true. Because we could do it if we just give up some of our free time. Some of our time in front of our phones or in front of the TV. But it's so hard for us to give up that time. Because we tend to cherish our own time more than anything. We live for the weekend. Listen, I don't say this to be harsh. Because I need to hear it too. And I'm deeply convicted by it. But I'll say this. The gospel was not spread on Jesus' free time. Think about it. If if anyone gave up more time, it was Jesus. He existed in heaven outside of time. He had all the time in the universe to do whatever he wanted, and yet he came down to earth and became a man. And how did he spend the last three years of his life knowing he was going to die? By going around and touching every single person he could with the gospel, healing the sick, feeding the poor, helping the helpless, and freeing the captives, and being a father to the fatherless and a brother to everyone. And then he died on the cross for people who didn't even love him back. Listen, we call ourselves Christians. We have to remember Jesus is our example. He's the one we should be looking to. We need to stop being lazy because Jesus was not lazy. We need to go to the Lord and say, make me more like you. Free me from the bondage of laziness. The second thing we need to understand is in the process to apathy, on the path to apathy, first it's laziness, second it's procrastination. And laziness leads to procrastination. And I'm not talking about you working on a paper and and, and nothing's coming to you, so you'll say, I'll just watch some TV right now and come back to it. I'm talking about literally putting off till tomorrow what needs to be done today. And listen, guys, I can tell you, in my life, I have been a king of procrastination. It is so easy for me when working on a paper in school when I was in school to open up a new browser tab and start watching YouTube. And that continues on to this day as I try to prepare Bible studies. It has been a hard road for me trying not to put off what I'm supposed to do right now because it's challenging and turning to something that's easy. Procrastination is marked by the phrase, I will do it tomorrow. Procrastination leads to things not being done well or not being done at all. And think about that. Doesn't it make sense? The assignment that you spent weeks researching and thinking through and planning and doing your best on versus the assignment that you waited 30 minutes till class to do, which one turns out better? Procrastination can often lead us to sin. For instance, for me, homework was so hard for me. So hard, especially math. I hated math and I didn't want to do the hard work to learn it because it really was challenging for me. I struggled in math. I was actually held back in math while all my classmates went forward. I only ever made it to algebra one in my life. Uh, Never did trigonometry or geometry or anything like that. And part of that is because I went to Calvary at the time before like we got serious as a school. Um, You know, things were way more loose back then. But, you know, I remember just procrastinating and not putting in any work and just saying, I don't need math. And what ended up happening Well, it's true. I never needed math. Uh, I haven't done math since the 10th grade. Calculators are great. I've been fine. But that's not the moral of the story. The moral of the story is it led me to cheat because I still had to get good grades on those homework. And so what I would do is I would procrastinate and put things off. And then 10 minutes before class, I would go to the smartest people in my class, usually girls, and I would say, hey, what were the answers? And and I would convince them to give them to me. and, And it was such a bad witness for me and for them. Listen, putting off till tomorrow what needs to be done today robs us of our ability to enjoy the moment. Because as most of you know, when you've procrastinated and you've put off something either at school or work or something God has told you to do, it's really hard to enjoy what you're doing right now. Because in the back of your mind, you know that you're not going to be doing what you're supposed to be doing. 
Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow because there's enough to worry about today. And really, when you don't live life in the moment, you miss out on Jesus because Jesus is always in the moment. Have you ever tried to coast on the things God has done in the past? You remember, oh man, camp was so good. God really spoke to me then. And listen, the reality is he'd love to speak to you now, but you're just not listening. Literally, it's so funny that God put this message on my heart because I've been procrastinating for the last two weeks. Almost every day in the last two weeks, I've been eating a meal that was much too big or sneaking off to Rite Aid to get some ice cream and literally thinking each day as I shovel down another bite of cookie dough ice cream, I'm going to start working out tomorrow. Literally every single time. This is so convicting as a message to me. And it wasn't until literally yesterday that I started working out. I ended up going for a walk with my voice recorder, which is an app that I use where I can talk into it and it writes everything down into a little Word document. And I said, God, I'm going to walk and pray and write down everything you tell me to say. And I won't stop walking until you give me a message. And I ended up walking for eight miles. which was brutal. <laughs> like the Lord was like, I'm going to punish you for your lack of being healthy. And I ended up burning a thousand calories and I ate a burrito that night and I've never felt more in my life that I had earned a burrito. I think God was trying to teach me something. So I understand the struggle. Absolutely. We do this with God. We say, I'm really going to start walking with God when camp comes. I'm going to start reading my Bible every single week, but next week. I'm going to start making church a priority so that I can hear God's word to me and be around other Christians who can encourage me in small groups. But I don't know if I want to come tonight. We constantly procrastinate and it never does any good for us. Listen, Jesus would say to you guys, I've called you to live today. Quit dying and walk in the light of the living. Proverbs 18.9 says, He who is slothful, that means lazy, in his work is a brother to him who is a great destroyer. Listen, laziness and procrastination rob us of our joy because we were not getting done what needs to be done. We're wasting our time when people around us are dying and going to hell, when friends of ours are leaving the faith, when friends of ours are slipping away. Why don't we reach out? We say, I'm not ready to reach out to them now. I'll wait. And then we wait and wait and they slip further and further away. Listen, we need to be hungry for the Lord today, not tomorrow. Honestly, guys, oftentimes the places we are laziest is our spiritual life. We'll be a workaholic if it makes us the valedictorian or gets us a spot on the football or cheer team that we want or makes us a ton of money. But will we work hard for God's kingdom? Would God look at you and say, man, he's a workaholic for my kingdom. She is working her brains out for my kingdom. To be honest, the kingdom of God is the only place I'd want to be a workaholic. Because the work that I do for God's kingdom is the only work that will last. I can't take my money to heaven. I can't take the YouTube videos I've made to heaven. I can't take the stuff I buy into heaven. All I can take is what I've done for Jesus. Are you willing to ask God, what is your will for me to do today? Like the apostle Paul asked the Lord on that road when he knocked him off his donkey, Lord, who are you and what do you want me to do? Those should be the two questions we ask most in our life. God, who are you and what do you want me to do? Guys, life can be overwhelming. Right now, I'm in a really stressful, stressful season. I'm teaching on Sundays, I'm teaching on Wednesdays, and I'm teaching on Thursdays at the Bible College. So my week is just like a nonstop Bible study and just being stressed and trying to figure out how I'm going to have time to prepare messages. Uh, Thursdays, my classes are two hours long, and so basically I have to prepare like two hours worth of material. It's so stressful. And maybe you've been in that place. Maybe right now, tonight, because of school, you're in that same place where you just feel overwhelmed. Listen, my dad gave me some great advice. He said, listen, son, just do the next thing. And it's such good advice because I can freak out over deadlines. I can stress that my messages won't be good enough because this is my job and it's what I do and I want it to be done well. But God says, just focus on what's next. Don't stress. Do your best and let Jesus take care of the rest. And I can honestly tell you that mentality has never failed me ever. Whatever you're facing in life, just do the next thing. Do what God has put in front of you. Stop procrastinating and stop being lazy. Just do the work that God has put in front of you. Don't stress. Pray that God bless it. Let Jesus take care of it. And some of you guys here are extreme go-getters. You're type A personality. So when you freak out and stress out your responses to like make a to-do list and like just go crazy and everyone in your house is like, oh my gosh, you're a freak. But you're just, you're, you're going for it. That's some of you guys here. Others of you, when you get stressed out, your answer is to take a nap. 
Your answer is to escape and forget about your troubles, hakuna matata, forget about your worries and strife, but then everything comes to hit you later. And people are different. Both type of personalities, type A personalities and the, other, the others of us, we all need God's help. Because listen, you might think the go-getter type A personality has it better, but really that person is in danger because often they can try to do things in their own strength. And they get so fired up that they crash and burn. While the other person can get so lazy that they do a terrible job on what God has put in front of them. Listen, God is calling all types of personalities in this circle to give the things that they've been given to him and then do their work diligently. Guys, listen, the key, two parts of the key. The key is to work hard and rest in Jesus. Do you get that? Work hard and rest in Jesus. Not work hard in your own flesh or rest in your own bed. It's a paradox. It's being two places at once. Working hard by the power of the Holy Spirit and resting in the security that you're loved by Jesus and he'll give you everything you need. And some of you are here tonight and you need to surrender and say, Jesus, I can't do it without you. No matter what God has put in front of you right now to do, I think for many of you, and and you know what it is, you've been avoiding it. Jesus says, follow me. Whatever it is, surrender it and give it to me. I can help you with it. But now we need to look at the third thing on the path to apathy. The third thing on the path to apathy, remember, it's first laziness, it's then procrastination, but thirdly, it's despair. It's despair. Despair is not saying, I don't feel like it, or I'll do it later. It's just straight up saying, I can't. I'm so overwhelmed that I just throw my hands up in the air and say, I just can't do it. Have you ever been there in life? Have you ever been that way in your relationship with Christ? Lord, following you just costs me so much. It's so hard. I have to give up so many things. God, it's so hard not to sin. It's so much easier just to give in. Lord, I would like to follow, but I just can't. Listen, once Jesus was in the crowd and he was teaching a huge group of people and they loved him because he gave them free food to eat. And it's kind of like being in a church and loving it because you like the coffee that they serve or the band that is playing or the speaker and they make you feel good. But then Jesus gets up like the most radical preacher ever and he starts preaching and he says, hey, listen, if you want to follow me, you've got to do some hardcore stuff. You have to sacrifice for me. You have to lay down your life for me and lay down your sins. It would be almost like you're so wrapped up into me as a person that you're eating my flesh and drinking my blood. He actually said that. He's talking about communion. But people didn't want to listen. They just went over their head. And so they freaked out. They started dropping like flies and just they left Jesus behind. And what was once a crowd of thousands is now a much smaller crowd. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, are you guys going to leave me now too? But what does Peter say? Lord, how can we ever leave you? You alone have the words that give life. Listen, for so many of us, we want to be like Peter, but we feel like we can't. Maybe for you, despair has settled into your Christian life. Do you feel like you've failed one too many times? You know what God has required of you, and yet you say, God, I just can't do it. Maybe you're here tonight, and you're despairing, and there's this cloud of despair, and it's so cloudy that you can't even see Jesus anymore. It's like he's not even truly real to you. And you can see he's real to your parents and your counselors and some of your friends, but he just doesn't feel real or tangible to you. And so unbelief and despair is settling in. A cloud of disbelief is settling over you. And you're wondering, how can I ever be free of the sin that's in my life? It's just not possible. You begin to believe the lie of the enemy who says, you can't, you can't do it. Despair says, I can't overcome the secret drinking addiction. I can't stop smoking this weed or worse. I can't stop fighting this pornography. I can't keep pure with my boyfriend or girlfriend. I can't stop lying to my mom and dad. And you might be here and you might be saying, I want to overcome. But you just say, I can't win. I can't do it. So we just try to sweep our sin into the corner of our mind and not think about it. Listen, despair is when we lose all hope. It's when the deadlines pile up and you say, I know I'm going to fail this class, but I just don't care anymore. I know I need to pray for my parents and their marriage, but I just can't bear the weight of the pain anymore. I know I need to tell my friend about Jesus and help them walk away from their sin, but I can't bear the pain they're causing me anymore. Man, guys, I've struggled so much with that one in my life. Watching people I love slipping into sin and just wanting to give up on trying to pull them out of it. Guys, you have to remember, remember this. As a Christian, we don't work for victory. We work 
from victory. Guys, the battle's already won. Jesus won it when he died on the cross. And we have a hope now in Christ. We have a hope in him that no one else can give us. Do you long to do the right thing, but you cannot seem to do it? Are you here today and just full, so full of despair in some area of your life? Listen, guys, despair is not always a bad thing. It can sometimes be bad, but when it causes you to be at your breaking point, when your despair brings to you to the end of yourself and you realize how empty you are, Jesus can use it to show you how to open the door to your heart and let him fill it. But if we allow despair to settle into our heart, it will destroy us. Is there something here tonight that you're in despair over? Don't give in. Have hope in the God of the impossible. Man, I remember just recently hearing about my, one of my dear friends in the ministry, Ben Corson. You guys know him, just awesome guy, loves the Lord, comes to every camp and shares the gospel passionately. Well, tragically, this, this wonderful dude his wife, who he loved very much, ended up cheating on him and committing adultery. Uh, he just posted recently publicly, so you can go on his website and you can watch him give his message on this. But his wife cheated on him and, and, and divorced him and left him. And it's just, it's so honestly inspiring to watch this guy because he gets up and he's heartbroken. He's in like one of the most heartbreaking places in his life right now. He loved his wife. He didn't want that to happen. But he's not giving up. He's like, I'm, st- I'm going to still tell people about Jesus. God's going to use this trial I've been through for something great. I love that. Guys, listen, there's so much despair and hopelessness in the world. People all around us are just, they're cutting themselves. They're drinking their pain away, smoking their pain away, living with hurt and looking for healing in all the wrong places. Guys, we need to realize that as Christians, we have a huge responsibility to be lights to that broken world, to be examples of what it looks like to overcome despair. Listen, the world needs to see what that looks like. But when you turn from your pain to idols instead of Jesus, you're not just harming yourself, you're harming everyone around you. Because the message you're sending them is not that, that, hey, there's hope, it's that there's no hope. And the only answer is found in idolatry, which is a false hope. When you know that's not true. And I think of people in this group that I love very much who I've seen overcome despair. I remember Trevor Clark, and I've asked all these people if I can share this, but I remember Trevor Clark just telling me about how when he was a young guy, and he shared this with us around this fire with the guys group, that he struggled with suicidal thoughts, that he wanted to kill himself because he was so depressed over things in his life. But he didn't turn to that despair. He didn't let it overcome him. He turned to Jesus. And now Trevor is so spirit-filled, and he's serving the Lord, and and he's loving God. And I'm just so blessed to see that. I I remember um, Gabby and and Christian just going through such a hard time this last summer, just watching their parents fight and wondering if they're going to make it. And I just remember uh, just talking to Gabby and just her just sobbing and just uh, just a point of so much despair in her life. But I remember just watching her hold on to hope and hold on to Jesus and, and hold on to the hope that God could restore something that's broken. And now we see in their family, God has restored broken things. We, we see hope and, and we see God bringing that marriage back together. And it's such a blessing to see. I remember watching Sam as his dad passed away just recently and just being at such a low point of despair and just going to visit him and just wondering like, dude, are you going to be okay, man? Is everything going to be okay? And seeing him rise out of that, putting his eyes on Jesus, putting his hope in Christ, and now just serving the Lord and leading people to him in the relationships he has around him. Guys, it's such a blessing to see. When people see that, they see there's hope beyond the idols in this world because those are false idols and they'll lead you nowhere. But when you put your faith in Christ, it's life-changing. We have to talk about apathy. Because it's dangerous. And as, as we close tonight, I just want to take a final look at the final stage, which is the opposite of what our friends here have done. It's giving into that apathy. It starts with laziness, procrastination, despair, and finally we end in apathy. When we allow despair to just dig its deep, dark roots into our heart, apathy is the result. It's not saying I can't. It's saying I just don't care anymore. And as someone who's been in the ministry for the last 11 years, I can tell you that one of the hardest things for me to bear has been apathy in the hearts of Christian young people. 
the heart that says, I just don't care. I just don't care what God calls as sin. I'm just gonna do it because I like how it makes me feel. I don't care about preaching the gospel and that people will go to hell if I don't because I'm busy with my own business right now. I don't care that God died so he could have a relationship with me because I would rather have a relationship with the world than everything it can offer me. I have a lack of hunger for the deep things of God, no interest in scripture or prayer and studying God's sacred word on my own. And you might be here and you might be saying, but, but listen, I have an interest in all those things. I love the Lord and I love the Bible and I love church. But when the question comes to you, what do you say about what God calls sin? Will you let go of it? The response is often, well, I don't really care about that. And God loves me anyway and he'll forgive me anyway. Listen, Jesus said, if you love me, you obey my commandments. I remember sitting on my chair and looking out at the Bible class of Calvary Christian School and many times seeing in the audience several students who just had these dead eyes. And I would ask these sometimes middle school students, I would say, hey, why do you fall asleep in Bible class? Why aren't you thrilled to be studying the Bible and the teachings of Jesus? Is it because I'm not a good teacher? Is there something I could be doing better? And I've had many students tell me, honestly, no. I mean, we like your teaching, you're funny and all, but the reality is we just don't care. That's really my parents' faith. It's not what I care about. I've literally had people from our old school tell me that. Or maybe it's even worse. Maybe for you, you're here and your faith is, is falling because you realize that your parents never truly had faith. Maybe you grew up with parents that made you go to church and then somewhere along the lines you realize they don't actually believe what Jesus says. And so apathy sinks in and you're here today and maybe you're sinning and maybe you once felt guilt about that sin but now there's absolutely no guilt in your heart and you haven't read your Bible in weeks and you just feel nothing and you're committing some sin that you know in your heart is wrong but you still come up with excuses and justifications to convince yourself that it's okay so you can hold on to that little sin in your life. Listen, do you go to the mall or the beach and you see people around you who are sinking into darkness and and your heart never stirs for them. The struggle from despair to apathy is like the struggle of when you're drowning. Because when you're drowning, you panic and you eventually realize that there's nothing you can do and this sick, twisted sense of peace sinks over you. Listen, there's three positions a Christian can have. You're either anchored to Christ, drifting away from Christ, or drowning. Have you guys ever heard of drowning theory? Anybody? Drowning theory? This is what it is. They've interviewed people who have actually survived drowning, where they got to the point where they were actually like sinking down, like just giving in, and then they were pulled out and resuscitated. They've been interviewed, and people asked them what was drowning like, and this is what they said. Drowning, be- drowning begins with despair and panic. As the water goes into the lungs, it cuts off oxygen to the brain, and it's painful and scary, but people who have been drowned and rescued have said that at first they were panicking, but once that water filled their lungs, eventually the panic switched to a false sense of peace because they knew what was happening and there was nothing they could do to fight it. So eventually they stopped fighting it and they let themselves drown. Guys, we do this as humans with despair and apathy. Sin starts to creep into our life. And at first we're like, oh no, I'm sinning. It's causing all these things in our life. But eventually we just sink in and we just let it take over. And we just say, I can't fight it. I can't, I don't care anymore. Proverbs 26, 16 says, the lazy man is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. When you have given into apathy, you think you have it all figured out. In your eyes, you have more wisdom than seven people trying to talk sense into you. And God says, wake up, listen to what I'm trying to say to you. Don't sink into despair and let yourself drown in apathy. Don't say, I'm not gonna fight this anymore. What we don't realize is when we reach this point, the wrath of God cannot be far behind. And you might hear that and say, whoa, Aaron, the wrath of God, but I'm a Christian, I'm saved. I mean, the wrath of God is for people who don't know Jesus. That's, you know, guys, listen, most often in the Bible, the wrath of God is described not as God throwing lightning and fireballs at people, It's God giving people over to their desires. That's what the wrath of God is described as. It's God giving people the sin that they want. God speaks at our heart and he says, hey, listen, this is sin in your life. Get away from it, get away. And you say, no, it's fine, I'm fine. Everything's okay, stop bothering me about it. Leave me alone, Lord. And eventually he says, all right, you can have what you want and then you get it and it ends up destroying you, usually in a way that you never expected it to. The scariest thing that can happen to us is when God lets us get what we want because he'll never force you to follow him completely. You might say, Lord, I wanna follow you, but I also wanna bring my sin along for the ride. He won't stop you from doing what you wanna do. And at this point, you might be thinking, wow, this is a really depressing message. Well, I'm sorry, but I think it's a necessary one. 
And I'll give you some hope here at the end. Listen, I think now we need to look at how do we break free from this sin? Because we never just wanna talk about sin. We always wanna talk about the freedom that's found in Jesus. So how do we break free from apathy? Well, first we have to find our center. Listen, to break free from apathy, we have to find our center. And we can't do this by working really hard, by saying, I'm gonna be a really good Christian tomorrow. Listen, recently I installed shelves on my wall and I'm not very handy, but I went to Ikea and they gave me this little drill that came with the shelf and I was like, all right, I'll try. It was really important for me to use this tool called a level. Have you guys ever used a level? So you use a level and it's this tool that shows you if things are straight and not crooked. It shows you if you're centered properly. Listen, if I install a shelf and the shelf is crooked, and let's just say that like Pixar makes a movie about shelves called Shelves and the shelves are alive, you know, like in Toy Story or Cars or whatever. The shelves are alive. Well, if the shelf is installed crooked, what's gonna happen? things are gonna slide off of it. Now let's say the shelf tries really hard to be a better shelf. He's like, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna do it guys. I'm gonna be the best best shelf ever. He says, I'm gonna just be like super strong and like support more weight than I ever could. Listen, it doesn't matter how hard he tries. If he's off center, it doesn't matter how hard he tries to be a good shelf. He's always going to have things slip. That is the Christian life. We need to become balanced. We need to find our level and our center in Christ alone. Because when our center is Christ, he holds our world together and things don't slip. We need to find our center in Christ alone. Christ alone. Not Christ and sin. Not Christ and the crutches we depend on to deal with our pain. Not Christ and the friends we allow into our life who lead us away from him. Not Christ and rebellion. I remember when I was your age, God saying very, very clearly to me, Aaron, I want you alone. Not you and your life plans. Not you and your goals. Not you and your sins and vices. I just want you He wants all of me and he wants all of you because he wants us to experience all of him. And that meant for me, I had to leave behind things that caused me to lose my center. But listen, I'll tell you this, I've never left anything behind for Jesus that I've regretted. No man is free until he is free at the center. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, all you who are lazy, all you who are apathetic, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, I have come to awaken your soul, to give you not only forgiveness of sins, but to give you life. When we, come, when we become apathetic, it's because we've forgotten what the gospel really means. The gospel is never about anything that's found within ourselves. It's always about what Christ does within us. The gospel is all about self-surrender. That is what Jesus did on the cross, and he calls us to a life of self-surrender. It's about realizing who Christ has made you to be and receiving into your life Jesus Christ and everything he desires for you. Listen, you might be here today and you might be so frustrated with how many times you failed and sinned and fall on your face. You might look at Jesus and say, Lord, Christianity is an impossibility. And he would look back at you and say, yes, that's true, but it's only impossible if you do it in your own strength because nothing is impossible if you have my spirit within you. Just ask Peter who walked on water. Hebrews 6, 19 says, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, in which enters the presence behind the veil. There's no reason to drift or drown when you have the anchor of Christ. Jesus is the anchor of soul. He's the anchor of hope. And holding on to the anchor of hope will move us from laziness to service and productivity. Ask yourself that tonight. Am I serving Jesus in my life in any way? Am I producing for the kingdom? Do people look at you and say there's something different in them? They have a hope that I don't. They serve in a way unlike anything I've ever seen. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. How do we produce fruit in our life? It's because we live on the vine. Guys, listen, Christianity is not a belief system. It's not a belief system. It's a living relationship with the God who created the universe. Christianity is not a belief system. It's an entirely new way to be human. We should stop saying, this is what I believe and start saying, this is what I am. Hebrews 3.15 says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Listen, I'm calling you tonight. Put aside the things that rob you of your joy and start embracing the things that produce joy in you. I encourage you tonight to rid yourselves of anything that is preventing you from hearing God's voice. And right now, just as we get ready for Emily, just to close us in a song of worship, I wanna just invite you guys just to sit and listen to God's voice. 
Lord Jesus, we love you so much and we're so thankful for you. God, we are so thankful for your voice that speaks to us from across the universe, from across the heavens. You're the God who's broken into our reality because you love us so much. God, I just pray that you would protect us from laziness and lead us to service, God. God, I pray that you would lead us away from procrastination and lead us to discipleship, God. Lead us to a place where we are actively not just trying to be church kids, but we're trying to be disciples. Lord, for anyone here who is in despair, I pray that you would lift that cloud of despair and replace it with the sunlight of your confidence, the confidence we have in Christ, the confidence that our hope is in heaven, that when we die, we will actually be more alive than we have ever been in our entire lives, that we will enter into a new heaven and new earth that you've created for us, a life beyond anything we can imagine, beyond our wildest dreams, a life without pain and a life full of only love and joy. God, we pray that you would take our apathy, take my apathy, and replace it with passion. Give us a passion for your name. Give us a passion for you. Help us to live for you so much more than we live for anything else. Jesus, we dedicate this moment to you. In, in this time, God, as we sing, if there's anyone here who has anything on their heart that they need to get off of their heart. I just, I encourage you, give it to Jesus during this song. Just give it to him and say, God, take the laziness, take the procrastination, take the despair, take the apathy, give it to him and let him replace it with the good things. We love you, Jesus. And as we worship God, we want to give it all to you right now. In your name, amen.